begin. All right. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I just want to publicly acknowledge my gratefulness to the Holy Spirit for giving me what I genuinely consider as one of the highlights of ministry in this church to speak to the ladies. If it were known, and don't tell anybody I said this, I think I'd rather speak to the ladies than to the men. I really would. I don't know if I always come across this way, but I have a definite affinity for the plight of the ladies and for their place. I have a wife, a daughter, and three granddaughters. There are only a couple of guys in my family. It's not that they take second place. I just have a greater affinity for y'all. I have a greater... I suppose the word would be sensitivity of what you go through. And the older I get and the more I meet with you and walk with y'all, just what you're experiencing and how you're dealing with things. And so I was so thankful for the Lord, to the Lord for being able to be here today. My prayer is that I have not missed His Word for you. I always struggle with that. I think, well... That one ain't going nowhere. That one's going down the tube. And it's just a lack of my trusting the Lord. I just need to grow in this area of trusting Him more, if you don't mind my saying that. So I'm praying this morning that this is exactly what you need. And we're going to leave out a lot of information. We're not going to give a lot of details. So at the end of this, you may think, well, what about that? What about that? You can't cover everything in a 45, 50-minute sermon. I don't mind doing this for six hours. Just need a breath of air, a break, drink of water, and come on back. But I don't know whether you could take it. But let's see how the Lord ministers to us today. There is an attitude. There is an atmosphere. There is a spiritual mindset that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to engender in some and bring to greater maturity in others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is giving his final remarks to the church in Thessalonica, which is by the way, having huge problems with the circumstances of their lives and of the culture. So he's been instructing them as to what's going on and bringing them great hope as he says, Jesus is coming back. You hang on. You have faith. You continue to fight. Why? Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back. And then in these final little staccato, do this, do this, do this, instructions at the end, in verse 18, what does he say? What are the first two words? In what? Now, let's say the same word, everything. So, mine says everything, some says all. 
things. Let's say everything. In what? I can't hear you. In everything. What does everything include? What does everything exclude? You see? In everything. Do what? Give. You can, you can talk up. Give thanks to God. Why? In everything, give thanks to God. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. Now, how many of you can realistically say and truthfully say, you know, that's fine to talk about, but... How many of you just heard that little but in your mind? Come on. Come on. Come on. But you don't... But that... You know, preparing for this is a challenge because what happens when you prepare for any sermon, but especially this kind of a sermon, the, the enemy gives you opportunity to deny the truth. And even if I or we fumble with this truth, the truth remains and we get up, we repent, and we continue to do what the Lord tells us to do. Amen? So in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you in Jesus Christ. So, if you're saved today, what is the Holy Spirit's command in any and every circumstance? Do what? Give thanks to God because giving thanks is the expression of joyful trust that we know that God is in the midst of all this and it's going to be okay as far as God's will is concerned. Isn't that what giving thanks is all about? I remember a week ago or so, I don't remember when it was, but we preached the message, John 3, 16 and 17. Remember that? For God so loved the world. And in that message, we talked about and we learned hopefully about God's intense passion to declare His love, to declare the love that He has within Himself about Himself to us. His great self-delight, His great self-joy to give it to us, which is the best thing He could have done because He's giving us that which is true and best. But you see, the difficulty and the, quote, problem with this, because we all want that kind of an experience, I think if I ask everyone who wants more of the experience and the power and the expression and the blessing of the love of God, hopefully everyone would stand. So we all want it. The catch is how it happens in us. You see, what the Holy Spirit does, He uses our circumstances to bring about the reality and the growth of God's great purpose in us. He uses the circumstances of our lives, whether they are good or whether they are bad. And you're in, by putting quotes around the word good or bad, what am I really doing? I'm saying that in good as far as we might consider good, bad as far as we might consider bad, but those two words may not be indicative of what's really going on. How many of you remember Romans 8.28? See, how many of us believe it? Romans 8.28, 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. You may turn there if you want to and follow in your Bible, although yours may be a little differently termed, but it's going to be the same principle. Paul's writing to the church. And he says, for we know. You see, there's something we know. And knowing this should give us the ability by the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to apply it to its reality. For we know that God works all things together for the good, for those who love Him and who are the called according to His purpose. Do we know that this morning? Well, we know it where? In our minds. But where does God really want us to know it? He wants us to know it, if you excuse the expression, I'm going to say it the way King James would say it, the way it was understood in those days. He wants us to know it in our guts. The bowels of God. Which in those days they felt the feelings and the emotions were down in your guts. How many of you know you said, I have a gut feeling about that? My guts, my bowels, my stomach is telling me something. So we are to know these things not only intellectually, but we are to know them with our guts. So this, in every circumstance, may I repeat that word? In every circumstance, and I don't apologize for the word every, in every circumstance, God is at work using and moving and manipulating the circumstance to conform us to the image of His Son to bring about His great purpose of declaring who He is and how He is in us, His people. He is reproducing in, his, in us His great love. Do you agree with this? Well, let's look at it a little bit. Father, make it so today in our guts. Father, we don't want to be a people who just know something intellectually. We know so much. Father, we want to be a people who believe unto feeling, believe unto experiencing, so that the doing of it is real in us by grace. Father, by the Holy Spirit, hit us in the gut today with Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's look at some of this by looking at... There are just all kinds of examples. But let's look at the lives of two women. So would you be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 1? 1 Samuel is way back, as you remember, in the Old Testament. I will make this comment without any equivocation of, of apology. I think the church in general reads the New Testament too much. You're not in the Old Testament nearly enough. Don't overread the New Testament. Read the Bible as the whole Word of God. And your diet of the Word of God should be a copious amount of the Old Testament. Read it a lot. Because you see, what is said in the New Testament about the love of God and the faithfulness of God and the assurance of God and all that stuff of God, in the Old Testament, we see it drummed out day after day, week after week, 
month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. We see the truth of what is said in the Old Testament in such a reality in the Old. And as you read the Old and see who God really is and what He's really doing, it makes the words of the New Testament become alive and vibrant in a way that they've never been before. Don't miss the reality of God in the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament more than you're doing and read the New Testament less than you're doing if you're reading it too much, if you would. Is it okay for me to say that? I hope it is, because I know people will listen to the tape. And as we look at the lives of these two women, I want to ask this question. What is God revealing about Himself in each one of them? Here is the critical question that you must always ask when reading the Bible, but also when assessing your own circumstances. Make this the primary, the foundation, and almost the only question, because if we have the answer to this question correct, all the other questions will fall into place because we have the foundation right. So this is the question. What is God saying about Himself? What is He declaring of Himself in my circumstances? What is He revealing to me about Himself? Not what's happening to me and when is this going to get better and all of those things, but the question always should be about God. If your question is about anything or any other aspect other than God primarily, you are flirting with idolatry. Can you say amen? Huh? You're flirting with idolatry. No matter what the circumstance, we don't want to be a people who flirt with idolatry. So let's look at Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 all the way through 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 10. Now we're not going to cover all these verses. We would love to, but we ain't got the time. So let's skim it. Let's look at Hannah. We see she's a married lady. But you see, immediately look at verse 2. And in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, What's wrong in Hannah's life? She had no children. She's barren. You say, well, okay, she doesn't have any kids. <clears throat> in that time period in Israel, it was understood that barrenness very often, not always, but often, was indicative of God's judgment upon a woman or a family. Something was wrong. You see, you ain't got no... Mm, what you doing? You, you sick because you don't have faith. If you had faith, you could do better and get the answer to your need. Amen? You see, let's use faith to knock God around and get something. Hannah, you have no children because don't we do that often? How, on, how many of us do it? Come on. How many? We do it often. We may not say it, but it's there in the way we talk, 
about or to. It's there in our eyes and our expressions. Like, it's there. Hannah has no children. She was also being ridiculed by, I don't know, do you say wife-in-law? Now, Connor, you see, had two wives. I don't know whether you say wife-in-law. She was being ridiculed by Peniel. However we say this word, Peniel. She's being ridiculed. She's being provoked. You know, have any kids? You know, have any kids? How often do our circumstances cause us or others to have an opinion about us or we think our circumstances are declaring something about us or our family or our whatever and we're making assessments based on what we in the natural world experience and are seeing happening around us. How often are we experiencing the ridicule of others? Maybe not right out, but the ridicule of others, we can feel it. Or how often do we think that we're being ridiculed and we may not be? All of this, you see, is in the stew here. And Hannah is being provoked. Who? Only God will do something about this thing. Why am I in this? What have I done? Idolatry. 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 You see, because we've asked the wrong question at the wrong time. See, where was God? How many of us have asked in a circumstance, where is God? Come on, come on. I've done it. How many? Only three. Where is God? Oh, you don't say, where is God? You don't say that. Because, you see, we, 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 we theologically know better than to say, where is God? But we say it in a myriad of other ways. We just say it in the way we feel about what is happening in our lives. We're saying, where is God? I thought He could do this. I don't know why He didn't do that. I, we were saying, where is God in all of these ways that we're acting if they're not doing what First Thessalonians 5.18 said, in everything, give thanks. And if we're not giving that kind of thanks, we're accusing God. Where are you? You should be here. Who, if I were God, I'd do a better job than this? Come on. That's, that's declaring to Him. See, where was God? See, because the Lord closed Hannah's womb. In verse 6, you see that the Lord did that. Ah. So if I'm ridiculing that person or questioning the circumstance, hmm, I wonder... I wonder what they did. Don't say it loudly, but I'm just wondering what happened, really. Or why am I in this? Why? You see, verse 6 says, The Lord closed her womb. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't ask the questions I've been asking. 
Where was God? He was there all the time. Think about the thing that you're going through, or you went through, or you're going to go through. Where's God? We don't want to assess the presence of God based on what's happening, nor upon how we are feeling about it or how it's interfering with us. Idolatry. 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 This is easy living, isn't it? How many of you know this is easy? This is crushing. How many of you we have talked to? How many of you have been crushed by hellish circumstances? Relationally, financially, emotionally. I know, I have met with a whole lot of you over the years. I can start picking you out and asking you to stand, and you know I can. So I'm not trying to glance at any one person. He'll say, she'll say, he's, he's, he's let him, everybody knows. No. There have been huge problems. It's hard. Where was God? He was there all the time. He was using the circumstances of Hannah's life to move her to pray, to move her to be used in one of the greatest demonstrations of His power that they knew in those days. Let's turn and read 1 Samuel 10 and 11. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Let's see where God is. And she, Hannah, being greatly distressed, you see, she's provoked. How many of you have been greatly, dis uh, what does it say? Distressed and provoked by your circumstances. Whatever the need may be. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was not a woman who was afraid to confess what was going on. Confess to God what is going on and even tell Him how you feel about it. I can't tell God I feel like, mm. tell Him He knows you feel like, mm. get it out, spit it out, and then say to the Lord, I feel this way, would you deal with my feelings? Amen? God's not put off if you feel like, mm. to a different audience, I'd say different words. If it were just the men, we would say different words and bleep it out of the tape. That's right. Because that's how they feel. Some words describe more aptly than other words how you're feeling. So if you feel like the bottom of a bird cage, say it. That's as close as I can get to it and still be polite. I mean, how do you feel? Is it, how many of you felt like bottoms of bird cages before? Come on. We have felt like this. Somebody called me not too, well, a while back, a Christian brother. He said, Brother, how you doing? I said, I feel like the bottom of a birdcage. He says, thank you for telling me the truth, because I don't like it every time. How you feel? I'm great, brother. I got the victory. I'm doing well. Sometimes I don't feel that way. It doesn't belie the truth of God's Word, but I'm just communicating what's going on in my guts. Let's be truthful with one another, and especially with God. He knows you're lying. Who you lying thing, you? 
<laughs> Whoo, I'm feeling nice. Oh, you lying thing. And so the circumstance comes on you even more to get you to at least start telling the truth about how you feel before God can begin to deal with the deeper things. <laughs> oh, my word. So she wept bitterly and she made a vow, O Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son. Oh, this lady's bold. This lady's bold. She wants to pray for the purpose of God in her life. And her circumstances are driving her to the place of praying and submitting to the purposes of God in a way that whatever happens, I'm ready to be your lady. I'm ready to be your maidservant. I'm ready for your work. The circumstances are breaking her resistance down to a place where she can be a maiden of God in a pliable way and in a useful way for the glory of God. Amen. And I will give him to the Lord in all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his face. What was God doing? Did he even care? Yesterday, I preached the funeral of a 14-year-old boy who died unexpectedly of a blood clot. And I said, the question in our minds is, not why did he die? Everybody dies. The question in our minds is what? Why did he die so young? How many of you would have asked that question? That's not what you're asking. You're asking something about God. Behind that question is, why did God, what? Let Him, come on, what? Why? I know the answer to that. I gave them the answer. I know exactly the answer for that. I don't know. No, I don't know. This, what am I going to come up with? Some kind of theological trash for them? I'm going to try to explain something about the mysterious work of a great and grand God. I'm not going to pollute God that way. I don't know. But I'll ask a better question. Why did God save little Johnny three weeks before he died? There's a better question. There's a better question, don't you see? What was God doing? He was preparing Hannah to bring forth Samuel, that great prophet, the last of the judges of Israel who would anoint David to be the king of Israel who would become the great progenitor of Jesus Christ Himself. What was God doing in the circumstances of Hannah's life? He was bringing about the monumental work of saving the world! to some little lady in Israel who was being crushed by her circumstances. As she was being crushed, as the Son of God will be crushed one day, God was bringing about the revelation of His great strength, of His grace in the midst of human weakness and frailty and inability and quizzicalness. Is God doing that in your life? You see, the story is not about how to pray through and have the victory. 
The story isn't how to resist when people call you names. The story isn't about Hannah. It's about God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's glory. That's what every story in the Old Testament is about. It's all about God. Every circumstance of our life, of our lives, is about God. When you read the Old Testament, read it that way. What was God doing through, what was God saying about Himself in Hannah's life? What was He saying about Himself in Hannah's circumstances? Write some things down on your paper. What was God saying about Himself in Hannah's circumstances? I was a school teacher. Take notes. Write it down. I just told you four of them. Oh, if I'd have known He was going to give me the answer, I would have written it down fast so I could have the answer. I used to do that as a school teacher. Guess what? They listened real close. After they figured out two or three times that I gave a test on the answers that I just gave that they weren't listening to. So we got folks, these girls, it was an all-girls school, to listen real intent, as they say. Because he may be telling us the answers to the test. I always did that. I always gave them the answers to the test. Why? Because that's the English I want them to learn. I want them to know what a pronoun was. So here's what a pronoun is. And five minutes later, hey, let's have a test. What's a pronoun? Ooh, well, you just gave us the answer. Well, certainly, I want you to know what a pronoun is. <laughs> I mean, does it make sense to you? Yeah. With your accent, girl, you would never pass the class. <laughs> Actually, Philomena may have done well because she could be speaking all kind of Bad grammar, as they say, and I would have never have known it. But that broke. <laughs> She's Scottish, as you know. Can't believe you lived here 25 years and you don't sound like a southern girl. How many? 55 years you've lived here. Mm. Just wanted to make sure she could hear well. 35 years. Yell it out. What is God saying about Himself? Somebody. I can't hear you. Sovereign. Good. Faithful. Glory. What is God saying about Himself? He can be trusted. He knows what He's doing. He's in control. You see, in every circumstance, God was at work to bless Hannah and to bless us. In her circumstances, Romans 8.28. You see, Romans 8.28 is real. What was the result? When Hannah came to realize this, I'm not going to read it, but you just read this psalm of praise in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. My soul rejoices in the Lord, the horn of my salvation. Thank you. But you see... The great praise of Hannah, we understand, came at the end of the circumstances having been revealed. But that great praise from Hannah's lips should be our praise to God in the midst of any and every circumstances, declaring to God that no matter what is happening in my life, I will trust you and praise you. Amen? So at the end of the circumstance, we may really be able to go wild over God.
Think about the circumstances of your life. Just the last week or two of month or whatever. That's probably enough for most of you. Could you not remind me of yesterday? I was trying to put it away. And now he dredges it up. Think about the circumstances of your present past. And maybe even go back in your memories and reevaluate and determine where was God and what was He doing and how was He? And ask yourself the question in that, mm, do I really believe God is sovereign? Do I really believe He's good? It's a challenge. Are you being challenged? Think about the thing that's really gripping your heart. Do you really believe God's good? Come on. It's a challenge. Is it a challenge or not? Is it okay for the preacher to say that's a challenge? You know why it's okay? Because it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But is it the truth? Amen? See, the question is not, is it a challenge, or is it hard, or is it easy? What's the question? Is it the truth? That's the question. If that's the answer, it is the truth, whatever it is that God's telling you, then you go with that. Let's look at Naomi. Turn to Ruth. Remember? Joshua judges Ruth. Okay, sounds like Joshua is judging Ruth. The first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We should know these books. Satan knows them. We better know them. Let's look at Naomi. Remember Naomi? She's a little lady who has is married, has a couple of sons, sons-in-law, daughters. I mean, uh, their sons marry some women. When we look at Naomi, let's do it a little differently now. Keep your hand in Ruth, and let's turn over, way over here to Matthew chapter 1. Bible drill time. Matthew's in the New Testament. Let's turn way over to Matthew chapter 1. You need to know your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Know the book. Put down anything else that gets in the way of knowing this book. Even a book that Peter Davidson wrote, doesn't matter. Know this book. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. So we can see up front God's faithfulness and His presence in Naomi. So this time, let's do it a little differently. When we did Hannah, we didn't see it from the end time. We want now to go to the end, see the end of the story, and go back and look at the story and see if that helps us. You see, why we can deal with these without a whole lot of emotion when we read these difficulties is that we know the answers. But you know, these women didn't know the answers when they were going through the problem. Hannah didn't know the Lord would give her a son, Samuel. All she knew is that she was going through, mm, and she wanted relief and went to God and was calling out to Him to have mercy upon her. 
But God was at work in every aspect of that circumstance, doing what is best for her and for us. You see, let's remember that we know what Naomi did not know. Can you listen? Did you hear me? We know what Naomi did not know. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ. This is about the Son of God. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah, and to his brothers, and to Judah born Perez, and Terah by Tamar, and Perez was born to Herzon, and to Herzon Ram, verse 4. And to Ram was born Aminadad, and to Aminadab Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. Remember the whore of, of uh, what's the name of the city that came down? Uh, Jericho. And Boaz, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. Oh my word, Ruth. Ruth. Is she significant? Is she significant? Yes or no? By Boaz and Ruth, who was born? Look at your Bible. Who was born? Obed. Who's Obed's son? Jesse. Who is Jesse's son? David. And who is David's son? Jesus Christ. The Son of Glory. The Son of Glory. Oh, yes. You see, Ruth was in a very special place. So her circumstances were certainly being used by God to do great things. But you see, I'm not... Ruth, I'm just, let me tell you something. The Bible says this, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest in the Old Testament. So as God did it to Ruth or Naomi or Hannah or Elizabeth or Mary or Sarah or any of these ladies back then, as He did it to them, he is now doing it to us also because we are members of His kingdom, of His family. Amen? As He did it to them, He's doing it to us because God is faithful and there is no variation or turning in God. He is not a respecter of persons treating one child better than the other, preferring one over the other. He is not that kind of a God. That's who we are. It's not who God is. So let's turn to Ruth, chapter 1. Now look at it. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. This is about the time of the judges, obviously. You know, Samson and all of those guys. That there was a famine in the land. <laughs> Here we have a book that talks about one of the primary ancestors of Jesus Christ. And the emphasis immediately is on a poor circumstance. Do you get it? Did you get this? You see, had we written the book, we would have started off a little more positive than that, wouldn't we? That's why you know it's God writing the book, because he pulls no punches. I mean, you know, there's a famine in the land. Where do you think the famine came from? Where? God. Why do you think there was a famine? 
You see, God is bringing in natural circumstances to bear upon the lives of His people in order to do a work in His people that will bless them and bless us and praise to His name forever. The question is, do you want that to happen? Or do you want Him to just give you the easy, good, fine circumstances and withdraw the blessings? Which way do we want it? Give me anything and everything I need to have in order for me to have more of you. If that's not your heart, then ask God, would you withdraw, take my name out of your book of life because I just can't stand the way you do it. I want the good times now. I'll take my chances on the day of judgment because I don't want the bad circumstances now. You just go ahead and ask God to erase your name from that book of life because you just can't stand the circumstances. It's hard. These things are hard. It's not a question of hardness. It's a question of God's purpose and glory. Famine, financial ruin, instability, fear, having to move, get another job, losing your house, famine. Where was God? He was there all the time. He was using the circumstances just in Hannah's life to bring about His purpose. Let's read Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 4. Follow with me. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. You see that after the famine? What happened? There was a famine in the land and the famine was used by God to get this guy out from where he was in Judah, in Israel, to go over there to where? Moab. Moab, Moab is the place where the Gentiles live, the, those other people. You know, they, 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 this family is being asked and moved by God into the bad part of town, don't you see? Into that section over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you think if the Lord moved you to West Waco? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or into Orleans Parish? Mm-hmm. God would never do that. He keeps me in Metairie, and I'm fine in Metairie. He would never make me move into Orleans Parish. There are too many of, hmm, over there. Come on, come on. Church, let's be real with God. God is moving them around. Why? Because He's doing stuff. And they took for themselves, in verse 4, Moabite women as wives. Orpah, not Ophrah. No, not Ophrah. She may sound like a Moabite, but this is not the woman we're talking about. O-R-P-A-H. Orpah. And the other name, Ruth. Oh, okay. You see, but we know what's going on because we've read the end of the story already. Then what happens is they all move down to Moab and they're in a nice section of town. Thank goodness, thankfully, you know, they got in a decent section of town. Right? Right? You know what I mean? And then tragedy happens. Her husband dies and the two sons die. 
Now think, you're in a strange place and your husband dies and your two boys die. This is real life to Naomi. It's real. What was God doing? He was doing a Romans 8.28 through her circumstances. Because you see, He moved Naomi there so she would get a roof and then she returned, he returned Naomi to Judah. Now, we may not like God's ways, but these are God's ways. And he moves Naomi and the family back, and Ruth marries Boaz. You see, had Naomi only known ahead of time what God was up to, do you think she would have at least been able to feel a little better about her circumstance? How many of you can say yes? Well, if I'd have known God was doing that, I would have. If I would have only known. You see, the grief of loss would still have been there. It wouldn't have overcome the grief of the loss. But at least it would have been mingled with the great hope and joy for a better day. What was God saying about Himself? Is the God saying about Himself the same thing in Ruth's and Naomi's life as He was in Hannah's life? What is He? He's sovereign. He's faithful. And He's good. He keeps His promises. The Old Testament's filled with this. The Old Testament's filled with it. What about our problem? What about our circumstances? What about us? Remember what we said, if only Naomi had known? You see, we do know. Oh, you don't know, and I don't know the particulars, but we know what they did not know. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We are not going to be overcome. Ladies, listen, we will not be overcome by our circumstances. Amen? We will not be overcome. We refuse to be overcome. Even though our outer man, this body is falling apart, yet the inner man, the spiritual person in me is being renewed day by day. I'm getting stronger every day. As I look to God, as I battle out these things, as I rejoice, as I trust Him. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond any and all comparison. Is this what you want? Yes. How is it doing it? It's not doing it automatically. It's doing it as we look. It's not just doing it. Circumstances are not changing us. God is changing us through circumstances. Time does not heal. It is God who heals in time. While we look not at the things which are seen, look at what's happening in my life. 
certainly we want to look at them, but we want to look at them with the perspective of God's loving purpose. You see, every circumstance of our life presents to us the opportunity to either trust God or question Him. I mean, can anybody give me 10 minutes? How many will give me 10 minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 235 minutes to go. Always be careful when a preacher asks you questions. What's God doing? Where's God? Every circumstance, any and every circumstance tempts you to either trust God or trust something else. Oh, well, you see, the good circumstance, oh, well, that's a temptation to think that something about you and what you are doing is the reason God is blessing you. It may be a self Worth thing building up in you. We have to be careful about those good circumstances. In fact, I think they're more dangerous than the bad ones. I think we're on thinner ice when everything's going well. I think that's the most subtle and dangerous temptation the enemy can give us. Let the good times roll and we're moving along on this road and we're doing just fine. I think you're in danger going right down the slide. Where's God? You see, God is in your circumstance in the same place where He was when Lazarus died. Oh, where was God? He was back at the campfire roasting weenies with the boys. Don't you remember? Jesus did not go. Four days later, He gets there. It's too late. Lazarus is buried. He's in the tomb for four days. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know, whatever you ask God. And Jesus said, do you believe that your brother's going to rise? She said, yes, I believe he's going to rise on the last day. And Jesus said, don't talk about any last day. I am the resurrection and I am the life. You see, it's not a thing about time and whatever. It's about the grace and the glory and the purpose of God in these things. If she had only known that Jesus was coming there to raise Lazarus, you see, they would have gotten through that funeral a whole lot different than they did. I've got to stop running up and down like this. You see, so many in this world are being crushed by circumstances. How many of you know that people all around you, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your fellow workers are being crushed by circumstances? They are desperately looking for hope in those who are being equally or maybe even more crushed for the reality of God in our lives. So Elijah stands before the nation and he tells the nation that is Baal worshiping, he says, how long will you hesitate? Will you halt between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow Him. And if Baal, follow Him. But the people did not give Him a word. They didn't answer Him. See, every circumstance says to us, the good and the bad circumstance, they all say the same thing. 
If God is God, worship Him. If Baal is Baal, worship Him. In every and in every instance of every circumstance, there is the opportunity for us to be either God worshippers or idolaters. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and so glorify your Father in heaven. How? Through your circumstances, through your problems, through the difficulties, through the trials in this world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. John 16, 33. For I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer, ladies. Be of good cheer, Christians. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. For greater is He who is in me, 1 John 4, 4, than He who is in the world. Let's live it! The danger today is that when you say amen, and I do believe and hope that you are, that when you leave here, the enemy is waiting and crouching at every time to get you on this. But be determined that God will have the victory. Don't collapse when He comes against you. Don't collapse. And I had to remember this for me. What should we do? No matter what the circumstance. Remind yourself that God is doing the most loving thing that He can do in your circumstance. Would you remind yourself of that? You may have to write it down. You may have to just stop yourself and speak to yourself. You may have to get your friend to say it to you. No matter what the circumstance is. Now, we're not talking about how to deal with these and pray. and We're, we're not dealing with a whole lot of stuff this morning. We're just dealing with the attitude that we carry in the circumstance. In everything, give thanks to God. Give thanks because this is what? The will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5.18, remember that. So in every circumstance, be reminded. Stop a second. Say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, I just need to remember one thing. Whatever is happening here, God is doing the most loving thing and I need to praise Him and thank Him for it. Even though it may wind up being, in my estimation, hurtful to me. But I'm trusting Him that on that day, that day of glory when He returns, I will then understand. I don't today but I'm not going to impugn my God through my feelings and through my twisted questions and my disbelief. You see, God is shown to be great in the worst times. Also in the good, but in the worst times is when He's really declared to be great in our lives because that's when we typically see Him the easy. is declared the easiest. Let's be turned to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I want to read this couple of things here that Gene sent to me on the Internet. And I looked at that, almost deleted it, and I said, wait a minute, maybe that's the Lord sending me something. Circumstance, you see. She didn't know what I was going to talk about. You are where God meant you to be. Remember, this pertains to the 9-11 attack. Listen to these circumstances. One woman was late because her alarm clock didn't go off in time. Can you imagine I'm going to be late to work and I may be what? What? Fired? Can you imagine how, what she said to that alarm clock? Come on. 
you dissing? <laughs> See, it'd been my alarm clock had been laid. I'd have smashed that thing and say, "You'll never make me late again." I'll hammer you down. I'll get a new one, but you ain't making me late again, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's how I am. I'm real gentle. <laughs> She got there late. One person was late because of being stuck in the turnpike. You have been stuck in traffic and start questioning, where's God, where's God, what's going on, God? Come on, come on. Whew, I hate being stuck in traffic. I can't stand that. I need to ask the question, though, in the midst of it, are you sovereign? Do you love me? And are you faithful? I believe the question, are you sovereign, is the single most significant question we can ask in any and every circumstance. Are you sovereign? He is, but you would. <laughs> One of them missed the bus. Fella missed the bus. Can you imagine missing the bus? <laughs> 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 right, Chafer? He's seen others do it. Got you off the hook on that one, brother. You owe me one. One spilled food on her clothes and had to be late. My new dress! <laughs> and I just bought it. Why, God? Because I'm saving your life. One person's car wouldn't start. I told my husband if he doesn't fix this, I knew he didn't take it to the mechanic. I don't know what's wrong with that man. Why is God doing it? Because he wants to save your life. One went back to answer the telephone. Whew, what a time to be calling me. I've got things to do. I need to get down to the building. Why did that woman or man or that child call me at that time? Because God was saving your life. One had a child that dawdled, you know, and didn't get ready as soon as he should have. Imagine the frustration in that. Mamas. Why? Because you see, God was saving mama's life. The next time your morning seems to be whatever, going wrong, or any time in your life. Children are slow getting dressed. You can't seem to find the car keys. You hit every traffic light. I don't like these things. You don't get mad and frustrated. God is at work. God is at work. He's sovereign. He's faithful. And He's good. Let's read this passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And maybe this morning they'll mean more to us than they have in the past. And let's not allow them to be theological or doctrinal only. Let's allow them to get into our guts. What then shall we say to these things? What things? 
What things? Whatever. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but He delivered Him up over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things, eternal life? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to accuse you of something? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? It is He who died, yes. Rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who can be against us? What can be against us? Who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? What? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Turmoil? Famine? Nakedness? Sword? Peril? Just as it is written, we are for your sake being put to death all the day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Let us live as more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you believe it this morning? You're going to have an opportunity to live it this afternoon. And when the men come back, and for the rest of our days upon this earth, no matter what is happening, is God there? Is God faithful? Is God at work in you to bring about His purpose, His goodness? Are we learning to trust Him in a greater way? Let's stand together. Just turn me down, brother. It's okay. <clears throat> I want to take a few minutes of opportunity to sing this hymn together. Can you put it on that back wall too so I can see it? And as we sing it, I don't want this to be just something we sing in closing because we're going home for the rest of the day. I've taken a little longer today than what I've been wanting to take. But I did it purposefully because I felt that the Holy Spirit really wanted to do a work that I just did what I felt I was leaded to do, led to do. And as we sing this, great is thy faithfulness. I want you to be honest with God. And I know that all of us are in this some kind of way. If you have not had that kind of an understanding or gut feeling as much as you needed to, if you've been finding yourself struggling and these things have been happening to you that you've been an idolater because of your circumstance, would you just be brave and come on down and spend some time in prayer? Why come down? Because you see, there's something encouraging as we see others going through the same plight as we are going through and then sharing with one another and being accountable and taking away the enemy's opportunity to attack me by myself 
and my thinking I'm all alone, but I have a house filled with people who are going through the same thing. And as one experiences victory, all of us can. Amen. So as we sing together, if you feel you need to come on down and pray and submit to the Lord and confess, repent, or call upon the name of the Lord to just worship Him, would you feel free to do that as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I can't lead like Matt, but we'll sing together. Is his faithfulness. Great is he in every circumstance. How glorious is he, no matter what's happening. Let's be a family that deals with our weaknesses by his grace. Don't be shy to come down if you've been struggling. Come on down. Ask the Holy Spirit to do. A deeper work in you. Don't stand back. Don't let the circumstance of people seeing you hold you back. If you need to, come on down and confess and show before the people, I will stand for God in my circumstance. Pray for these who are here, for those of you who didn't come, and then we're going to close in one more song. That's okay. Father, thank you so much for knowing our weaknesses. The Bible says we have a high priest who knows our weaknesses. He himself has even partaken of them except for sin. Father, thank You that You are not upset when we fail. You're not put off. You're not angry. You're not frustrated. Sin does that. Not Your goodness. Father, we thank You that time after time after time after time, You still deal with us. 
according to your goodness. Even in a disciplining way, your goodness, for whom the Lord loveth, he disciplines. Father, this morning, would you build into us a greater stability, greater strength of your grace, greater understanding, greater experience, greater appreciation, and greater victory of your grace. Father, we remember the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed. He told the disciples, The Prince of this world cometh after me, but He has nothing in me. I don't give Him an ounce. And as a result, Satan had no ability in Jesus. Father, would You do that in our lives increasingly so, so we can say, Oh yes, He comes against me, but I am not giving Him a toehold through my attitude, for my praise and my trusting of God takes away every toehold that that slippery, slimy snake has. And he has to slither away because I am being greased by God. So he can't take hold of me to injure me. Father, minister to the women of this church in a powerful way. Father, use them more powerfully than they've ever been used in prayer and ministry, in kindness and gentleness as wives, as single women, Father, as young girls. Father, continue to cause the flavor and the aroma of this church to be wonderful because of the wonderful aroma of your presence in their lives. Thank you, Father, for your ministry this morning as we close with this great word. In Jesus' name.